Welcome to Slogan Talks, an unsafe space of politically incorrect banter, opinions, and commentary on everything from worldly events to religion to the philosophical. I'm Slater. He's Kogan. That's right. All right. We'll do our best to keep you entertained today as we discuss and explore UFOs or unidentified flying objects in the non-controversial topic of religion. I want to get into some of the work of Annie Jacobson. We've talked about her a little bit before between me and Kogan, a world-renowned journalist and author who's written books on Area 51 and covert government operations and Pentagon programs, along with disinformation campaigns and mind control projects. Any comments, Zach, before we get going? I like mind control. I do too. So, Zach, I want to talk about uh, UFOs first. And uh, I'm not sure your take. Right. You don't know my take. We haven't really talked about this. We've never talked air. about this. This is actually one of the few topics I don't know if we've ever discussed. <laughs> talked right. pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> Bantering on our po- on my porch, we usually get into everything, but we've never touched on the subject of UFOs. Off limits. This is off limits to us. You think it's political or you think it's uh, science or what do you think it is? What's the story there, here? Everything is political. There is nothing that's not political. Can we blame Trump or uh, Biden on this or no? 100%. 100%? 100%. All right. Oh, it's a definitely deep state. I mean, that's no question. So here's the story with UFOs. Here's Let's just frame uh, the conversation and put it into the proper context. There are things that people believe fly around Earth that right. we can't recognize, that are unidentifiable. But the real question is, are they from this world or from another world? Right. I mean, the the right the implication when people say UFO, all it means is unidentified flying object, unidentified flying vehicle, um, different abbreviations. All that means is we don't know what it is. In theory, if I'm you know seeing an unidentified flying, I can't identify the the name of the airplane that's flying by me and what type of craft it is. That's a UFO. But for all means and purposes, we're talking about aliens, right? So, right. So, growing up in New Hampshire. In the 1980s, right? I'm a little bit older than you. The stealth bomber would fly up and down past New Hampshire to Pease Air Force Base. And at the time, nobody knew what that was. It looked like a freaking spaceship, a UFO, something that nobody had seen before. And it wasn't really until, I think, the Gulf War that it started to come out what um, what this vehicle was, what this aircraft was. Which, right. by the way, speaking of political, that's one of the arguments for war, right? Testing out new equipment and experimenting and all one of that. One of the arguments, sorry, I'm not following. That war is good? Is that the argument? No, that war hawks uh, would use war, um, use battle, use attacks to test out new equipment. Okay, 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 fine. So growing up in New Hampshire, we had the stealth bomber or various types of stealth stealth equipment. Think of the Blackbird when that was going on in the in the Nevada desert, taking off across the country. Nobody knew what this was. It was unidentifiable, right? So I guess my take is this conversation all begins back around 1947 with the Roswell incident, right? Would you agree? No, I okay. wouldn't agree. I'm not going to agree. And I think this is going to be a, one of the one of the maybe disagreements we'll have, but may, maybe maybe we'll just see where it goes. So. The thing about objects in the sky and the fascination that it has for people is as long as 
people have existed in recorded history. Um, talk about chariots in the sky, or, or, you know, flying stars are means for gods to transport across the sky. Um, we have accounts of strange cigar-like shaped craft uh, across the sky. The Tunguska event that happened, the, the crash in Siberia that was, you know, burned down half of the, you know, whatever, the, the vegetation um, part of the Siberian forest. All of these things um, were, there were events, celestial events, meteors, whatever they were that we can explain them today. There were many, many more that we don't know how to explain that were recorded in history and, and prehistory or, or early, early civilization. Um, so I think the fascination with unidentified flying objects is almost embedded in our imagination um, as, as a civilization. And I, ju I do think what you're saying is the modern understanding of the, the sort of the flying saucer and the little green men and where they come from, I think that that comes from the Roswell incident. And I think really that's due to the, with all of these, you can, you can look at the interpretation of the unidentified flying object and the phenomenon and see the way that people are speaking about it and frame that in the context of what is popular science fiction at that time or and that or religion whatever is the the, the you know the, the the bigger one of those um and we see it being gods um and god's chariots etc and then we see it being you know sort of what, what today is called like steampunk right like flying ships airships that are flying and like they're travelers from the future and then when you have space exploration at its height right during the space uh the space race um, or, or I guess predating the space race, but but during space exploration being a real thing, um, you 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 now have real science talking about you know other planets and potentially life on other planets is is a popular discussion in um, in popular science and science fiction. Then that's what people are seeing, and that's the way they're describing the events. So I just think that that's the event, the sort of the turning point uh, event for the modern understanding of UFOs that we have today. Um, so I'll just uh, that, that's my different take in terms of Roswell. Yeah, no, I, I think we have the same take, but how the fuck did they have pictures or drawings of UFOs back in ancient Egypt? That's that I don't know. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that really keeps me up at night. I don't know, man. That's like this, little green uh, men building the pyramids, too, right? Yeah, man. And it's, it's you know, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> not to get too far off topic, but like History Channel. Right, like History Channel is just ancient aliens basically now. Did that was that always the case, or did that change at some point? Because it's it seems like, it, it, it's, I mean it's 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 really connected to all television. Like if you look at CNN, it's no more real than History Channel. It's all the same thing. It's all fake. You know, CNN is telling you a fake story, and uh, and History Channel. I mean, literally, like in the name of it, it's like it looks like National Geographic. Like it's the History Channel, and they're talking about ancient aliens. Okay, so I can tie this together. So the History Channel makes their money. It seems to me, just an observation, mm -hmm. off of aliens or UFOs and uh, Nazis in World War II, right? So right. you, and I, you and I have talked about this before. So there's actually an interesting take. Annie Jacobson, who's written the book about uh, Area 51, has an interesting narrative and story. And she has, she has a source or two about this as well. And she talks about it in her book. Um, I can't say enough about her work because I think it's fascinating. So her premise is that the modern day craze of UFOs actually began in 1947. And in that time frame, she has a story about um, the United States government, essentially, and I hope I'm, I'm getting it right and paraphrasing it correctly and doing her mm -hmm. justice, was searching out for aerospace designers from the Nazis. And I guess, if I remember correctly, there were two guys um, 
I think it was uh, Walter and Raymar Horton, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, who allegedly created some sort of flying disc. And American intelligence or the CIA or whatever the equivalent right, was the back CIA. then right. spanned through Europe looking for these two guys who had disappeared from the Third Reich, from the Nazis. Uh, who knows why they wanted to go find the disc, the flying disc and these two guys who made it. But they wanted to know, I would assume, if this was created from an earthly thing or if they replicated it based on some sort of outer space thing. And this is how I tie, or you could tie the two stories together with the ancient Egypt, um, uh, or strike that, or with the, uh, the History Channel, with the Nazis and the UFOs, right? And it seems to me that these, the, these two guys had some sort of connection to Russia, or the Soviet Union at the time. And the reason that's important is Annie Jacobson in her book goes into depth about how the crash at Roswell, based on sources, was actually some sort of disc that crashed um, with young children on it who were experimented on by the Soviets that their 13-year-old some odd bodies uh, were essentially mangled and made to look like aliens. And I, I think the premise, if I'm rem remembering correctly, was that Stalin couldn't compete with the United States militarily uh, they didn't have the bomb. They didn't have the sophistication. But what they could compete with us um, with utilizing was propaganda. And they essentially created a crisis or a hoax based on aliens and UFOs and children uh, in these flying disks that came off of some sort of spacecraft that Truman couldn't even uh, talk about because he was so embarrassed that the Soviets had breached United States airspace in that time. But I thought, I don't know if it's true or not. She says she has a source, but I thought that story was fascinating. Um, and it gets into all kinds of things like misinformation, disinformation, what's true, what's not, what does the government want you to know? And the thing about Annie Jacobson is she wrote some other books about... Um, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner. I mean, this, she's, she's, not, she's no joke. Yeah, She is a great author. Uh, she has a great radio voice too. She was on Rogan and she, I think you may have heard her once before, but um, she, she writes some books about disinformation. So who knows if it's true or not or what the government wants you to know. She wrote a book on the Pentagon brain about these covert programs. So right. I don't know if it's true or not. I thought it was a great take um, and it's worth some consideration uh, given that she has a source and she's a real um, journalist. She's not, she's not a hoax at all. So I, th I hear I think it's 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 two separate things. I mean that that period of time and those events around there are really interesting, and the Nazi tie-in and the whole skirmish between the the Soviet Union and the and the and the U.S. to grab a hold of of Nazi scientists um, to win the edge over the other uh, as the two superpowers were developing. Um, you have you know like obviously the, the U.S. space program um, operation like paperclip right uh, bringing in you know um, von Braun. Right, a, a Nazi scientist to help us with the V two rocket, which eventually leads to the moon landing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Exactly. And all those things are those are those are fascinating. And like I think the Soviet Union took over two thousand German scientists captive and made them work uh, in the Soviet Union to help develop uh, various aspects of of, of their military um, capacity. And I think that's be outside just rocket science um, and 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 the bomb, etc. It's different. I mean, that's I think that's a one you that's that's I don't know enough about this the Roswell incident. I know that it plays a huge part in the folklore and culture of American UFO 
ism or whatever it is um it's sort of the the, the, the starting point for, for American UFO phenomenon or maybe modern day. I, I do think it's just whatever that was, uh, whether it was a weather balloon, as the official explanation says, or something else, it seems that the, the fascination with the object, with the phenomenon, is overpowering for people uh, and just, just, just holds our imagination so, so much. Um, but it does the, the the real question I think they're the two part question why are we so fascinated with it I think is a good question and and I I don't know and I think the other one is is it is it is it man made and I don't know and and that is that that's the harder one I think I think we can talk about why it's interesting and why people are fascinated I think it's it's a, it may be self explanatory or sort of intuitively understood um, the the space question I'm much more much more skeptical about. Um, what do you mean? Much skeptical about. I don't think there's any chance in hell that uh, a f- uh, the chances are very, very slim that an alien civilization has traveled here and we've seen it. Um, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, the, 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 yeah. From a religion perspective or from a science perspective? And we'll get into how you reconcile the two in a little while, but we where do you come from? What's your skepticism from? So this is a, my, my, my biggest skepticism is a scientific sort of logical uh, skepticism on the issue as follows. From our understanding of science, as we have today, that's what I can go on. In order to achieve the kind of technology you need to travel to another inhabited world, um, that, that's a very, very high level. And they have different, I forgot the, whatever, there's a scale um, of civilizations, and it, it's a scale which measures the, the civilization and its cap- capabilities according to the amount of energy they consume. And when we're talking about the kind of civilization that would be able to travel to um, to visit us, they would be the type of civilization that's type, I don't know, A, B, but you're talking about that could harness the power of a, of a sun, of, of, of a star. Like, that's the kind of power, uh, that's the kind of energy that this type of civilization would probably need. Um, Ichio, I forgot, there's a Japanese uh, a scientist, uh, theoretical physicist, I can look him up later, um, who talks about this. But in other words, if you have that kind of capability, then now you have several questions to ask on why those individuals, why the civilization would come here in their craft and visit themselves here. And, and that's where it starts to fall apart. Now, if you have the capability to come here and look, well, we already have drones that do everything for us. So clearly they would have much more advanced forms of, of looking at what we're doing and measuring it and getting back all the telemetry they need to learn everything they need to know about us without expending the energy, time, and the risk to come here themselves. Um, and if they do come here themselves to take that step would be only in order to, for example, harness whatever energy they could find here, whether it's our sun, whether it's a resource of some other sort. But the idea that they're like out there, like, you know, exploring this, uh, exploring space and just, you know, zipping around space and they end up here and they, they do a zoom by, you know, the Nevada desert to check out some military base and zoom away. Ah, that's very it's it's very um it's very human of us to think that we're the center of the universe that that somebody would come here to take a look at what we're doing from you know millions of light years away. Uh, we're, I don't we're not that important to a civilization that's capable of that. It's just it's not a thing. 
That's, I agree that's with my you. take, yeah. I agree with you. I think your take is spot on, but I do have questions. I mean, all of these things lead to questions, right? What about Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar is, well, <laughs> now they refer to him as a conspiracy theorist because he claimed in the 1980s to have been involved in essentially reverse engineering. He's been exonerated. The Times exonerated him, basically. Last month, the New York Times basically exonerated Bob Lazar. Well, so let me just finish the thought. Sorry, in, the, sorry. in the 1980s, he was allegedly involved with reverse engineering um, extraterrestrial technology. According to himself. According to himself. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because he says he looked at briefing books about uh, from the United States government with classified information about alien involvement in human affairs over the last 10,000 years. I mean, I don't know that I buy that so much, but if you watch these docuseries on him on Netflix or anywhere else, the story is a little bit compelling. Now, he doesn't have witnesses or backup information, or maybe himself he's a misinformation campaign, you know, trying to throw everybody off uh, as an agent of the government. Who knows? But if you listen to the details of his story, it is somewhat compelling. You get diagrams, stories, uh, dates, facts, and so on. How do, we, how do we reconcile that if we both believe that it's very, very unlikely that um, other beings from other planets travel to Earth to come visit? How do we I mean, reconcile these, these one-offs? Right. I, think, I think the question is, is, as convincing as it is, we have to look at it. And we have to ask ourselves a question of what I just brought up. And then the other question, which is how many people can keep a secret? I agree. And I mean, that's how many people can keep a secret. And clearly we're talking about with, with, with Lazar's um, information. Um, you're talking about a huge amount of people involved, right? This isn't like one guy in a lab and another guy who's his boss who know about it. This is thousands of people potentially. Like, I mean, I don't know who, who can't, who all kinds of personnel would have to know and be involved. And I think that's just you can't you can't keep a secret. It, I don't think that it's possible that a secret can be kept for that long when you have so many people involved. So, however compelling his individual case may be, um, the the it's just it's it's too unlikely for it to be true. So, what do we think then with the New York Times article and the exoneration of Bob Lazar? He worked on something, right? He worked on something, and I and guess it was our, a secret. And it was not not only did he work on something, he worked on something, and it was top secret, and and they lied about it. And it looks like it had something to do with UFOs, right? But the origin of it, I guess, is what's up for debate, right? While he may make it sound like it's an alien craft or out of this world uh, project or a science that's not yet known in this world. This was in the 1980s. Maybe it was something that was created or um, existed from another country or somewhere else prior to his knowledge. And when he was brought into it, he had no prior information about the project and just looked at it as like, this can't be from this planet. Well, here's the thing I'm just thinking right now. Mm -hmm. um, what if we separate the two a little bit um, and we separate the general the phenomenon of UFOs uh, as they exist in history and Roswell went throughout and this particular incident as maybe something different and is there a chance that there was an accident with whatever type of craft that was coming to check out whatever here and this was 
one off, you know, sort of a one off thing that's really unrelated to the various sightings people have and experiences they 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 experience uh, around aliens, UFOs. This is a one potentially maybe a one time thing um, that is from somewhere else, and that that I could potentially like wrap my head around that this civilization that is capable sends some drone and the drone messes up and the drone falls and all of a sudden we are left with something that's not from here um potentially at the same time i'll tell you it, it very well may be just uh an issue of technology um as you said yourself seeing the stealth bomber fly overhead is you know crazy to see and you know if you showed people a microwave who live uh, you know removed from modern day um the modern day world and you show them that a box can make heat without fire like indi- <laughs> indigenous people in the middle of the amazon right oh, right you show them a microwave they're gonna freaking they're gonna lose their it's it's absolutely it's it's out of this world it's godlike it's or alien-like depending on your um whatever your frame of mind your your worldview have you seen the blackbird where did i see this this is yes. in um I think it was in Virginia at the Air and Space Museum. You know the the museum yes. in D.C., the Smithsonian? Yes, of course. Yeah, it hangs up above her head, yeah. Well, there's another one. If you go to the Air and Space Museum, you can take a little shuttle bus, or at least you could when I lived there in 1999 in D.C. And out in Virginia, they have a separate facility. I don't know if it's a storage place or whatever, but they had a bunch of aircraft. And my wife and I were looking at the Blackbird and I took photographs back then. And I think I still had a film camera in 1999. The development on them was horrific. You can't even take a picture of it. Think about that for a second. It makes sense. The light doesn't, it's a light issue, right? It, the, the, it's designed in such a way that, that, that my understanding is designed in such a way that it's, the angles on it reflect in such a way that you can't see it, and that radar can't pick it up, etc. Um, it's I mean, the 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 Blackbird. That's like it's it's a reconnaissance vehicle, right? This thing was flying, taking satellite, not satellite, I guess, high altitude imagery of um, of potential enemy, you know, bases, uh, movement of troops, activity, etc. Um, and they didn't want to be seen from below, uh, and so this thing was top secret and designed in such a way that it would be difficult to, to spot and. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, the 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 techno. I think that there's a disconnect between what people know in terms of the technology that exists and technology that exists, uh, and that's just the way it is. So, if you take the Blackbird, let's say 40, 50 years ago, imagine seeing that thing flying through the air, right? And then look at the Navy videos that we all saw this year of crafts of some sort, essentially just going straight up and straight down at very, very high rates of speed. I think it's interesting also, you know, uh, the president gave an interview. I think it was, I think his son was actually interviewing him, Don Jr. for one of these, you know, internet shows or whatever. And Don Jr. says to him, you know, dad or Mr. President or whatever he called right, him, right. the public wants to know about UFOs. And Trump kind of smirked and gave the little head <laughs> nod like, yeah, okay, yeah. Like we're going to talk about that right now. It's interesting. And, you know, I feel like we're reaching a crescendo, a crescendo yeah. to some degree, because now it's becoming more and more acceptable to talk about these things that 30 years ago, people call you a crackpot if you start talking about UFOs and little green men or trying to rationalize it at all, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, is, is it, 
Is it is it Reed? Is it Harry Reed that's spoken up about you? He was in Nevada, before? right? He was the he was the majority leader of the Senate for the Democrats from Nevada. I think he's a, he's an advocate for releasing the files. Right, right. I think Harry Reed is one of the one of like you know he's a huge political figure. Right? He's a, he's a mainstream Democrat figure. Well, it's know. his area, Roswell and Area Fifty One is from Nevada. Right, so I've actually been there also. Um, so, you know, so I went to school uh, in Northern Nevada and. Um, Drove down to Vegas a couple times and, and been around that area and driven around Roswell and, and around Area 51 um, or, or, you know, Dream Lake um, and that whole Nellis Air Force Base. And I'll tell you, actually, very like uh, driving to Vegas um, on the there's a part of um, 395 is, is the name of the road that sort of hugs the Sierra uh, Mountains, the Sierra Nevada Mountains on their east on the eastern side on the Nevada California border. And. Uh, a part of it goes right, you know, on the left is the basically the security fence for Nellis Air Force Base. Um, it's not Area 51 exactly. Area 51 is an area within Nellis Air Force Base um, around the Dream Lake facility. Um, but here we saw the drones um, that you see, uh, the, you know, flying, doing missions uh, in, in, in the Middle East, etc., wherever, you know, wherever the, wherever the uh, theater is uh, that the military's in. And we saw them taking off and landing. And this was a runway that was like adjacent to the highway, basically. Um, at the time that I was there, this was still sort of, for me at least, I mean, I had seen it in you know video games, but I hadn't seen it in real life. Um, it for sure is sort of on the cutting edge of technology, but I can only imagine what's going on in the places I can't see. Um, if that's something that they're doing on, you know, sort of uh, where where anybody can see. Um, so it's it's it. I, I'm sure there's stuff going on over there that's um, well beyond our imagination. And I think that, that, that again, speaks to humanity's uh, ignorance in terms of thinking that we all know everything. And the truth is, there's a lot we don't know. And it's not coming from out of space. It's coming from already. You know, it's things already here that other people just know and we don't. Um, just like indigenous people seeing a microwave, uh, seeing a blackboard in 1950, whatever, I don't know when it was made, um, and then whatever, 1960s, and then, you know, today us seeing something that's totally like, that's not possible, but actually, like, here's the science that does it, we just don't know about it. You know why it's called Area 51? I believe there is a, it's Area 51, what did they, what were they counting? There was something, it was something they were counting, right? Then there was the 51st? I don't know. So I've heard different takes on this, but the most compelling one I've heard was actually Annie Jacobson's that 1951 was the year the Roswell craft was actually transferred to that uh, from some Air Force base to that area um, near Groom Lake in Nevada. So they just named it Area 51 from 1951. But that, that was the most compelling take I heard, made the most sense. Uh, I don't think, I don't know what your opinion is, I don't think Area 51 is nefa as nefarious or um, uh, as people think. I don't think it's alien craft being worked on or little green men in storage cabinets like the movie Independence Day or anything like that. My hunch and my guess and my best speculation is probably that we're working on the most high-tech of aircraft or refining nuclear weapons or missiles or something like that things that are more explainable rather than out of the world out of this world type stuff um, that we don't want other countries to know about necessarily and that's why we keep it so secretive just my take i agree i agree with you uh i think that's the right take um i think that it's just there's technology that we don't want people to know about and then i think there's the 
the military disinformation campaign of knowing uh, from exactly. a military intel- intelligence standpoint, other military intelligence agencies, uh, our militaries altogether are, are, are looking and they, they know whatever, whether this is, you know, for they probably work under the, under the assumption, the strong assumption that it's not um, out of this world based. And whatever's going on over there is, is scaring them, right? It's like, damn, those Americans doing crazy stuff at 51. Like, they got all this crazy shit. It's a, it's a deterrent um, and a tactic that they use. I want to tell you a story to finish up this segment. Yeah. So have you ever had a personal experience with a UFO or anything yes. like that? What's yeah. I, I want to tell you mine and then you tell me yours. Okay. So back in the late 80s, maybe it was the early 90s, um, I had a black and white TV in my bedroom. I lived in New Hampshire. on the sec- I was on the second floor. My parents weren't home, so I must have been old enough to watch my sister. She was young. She was about two and a half years younger. She was downstairs. And I'm watching my black and white TV. And I remember vividly, I was in bed. I had a water bed watching the black and white TV in the corner right next <laughs> to my bed. So 80s, dude. <laughs> <It's> so 80s. <laughs> well, it gets worse because I had those rabbit antennas. And I was right, like right. futzing around with them because, you know, we had cable. But my parents, heaven forbid, they pay for cable for a... You know, a teenager, however old I was at the time. So anyways, I remember the black... I was having trouble with the black and white TV. I was futzing around with the antennas or whatever. Um, At some point, I went to sleep. And, you know, that was that. Next morning, I guess when my parents, you know, when we woke up in the morning and my sister woke up, she told my parents a whole story about she saw something out the living room window. And she had fallen asleep. I guess she was watching TV in the living room downstairs that was a color TV, by the way, one of those big flat screens that had like the big back to it. The projection. Like a, the projection. It was, like a, it was like a piece of furniture. Right. Exactly. Right. We had, you know, we had one of those bootleg cable boxes too, I think, back in the day. So she, heaven knows what she was watching. But anyway. You're talking so, about the black box? You're talking about we had like a black box. Scrambling? Oh, yeah. When you, you watch a scrambled, it's like scrambled one of those... spice? <laughs> well, <laughs> no comment there. I was a teenager, but you know, it was one of those ones where you, you put whatever channel on and you turn the TV to like the dial. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So we had, yeah, we had a dial. Yeah, two dials, right. Exactly. So anyways, we had a palladium window in the front of the living okay. room and I guess she saw something. Palladium. Palladium. Isn't that a you word? Say, I don't know, but good for you. I don't you know, know, one of those windows <laughs> that's like the length of the wall. I sure. I don't know that it's a, it's a very nice word. Anyways. Palladium. <laughs> Now that you have that big old fancy palladium. house in the middle of town, you'll uh, you'll know about maybe windows. I'll, maybe I'll invest in palladium windows. <laughs> I have leaded windows. You know, I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, right? I I, I think no. I, the palladium. I think there's, that's a song. There's like a song at the palladium, but I thought it was a club. They're talking about like rapping at a nightclub. I didn't know palladium was a kind of window. Man, you're rich. Not really. You grew up behind a palladium window. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Anyways, <laughs> it was a big anyway. window. She was sleeping on the couch. It was one of those like Creighton. It wasn't Creighton Barrel, like a pure one type couch with the wood bars on the side and the the uh, room and room and board. It's not room and board. Room and board didn't exist. We have room and board. <laughs> I think it was more like Pier One. Anywho, so she saw out the Palladium window um, some lights, and I guess it got my parents concerned enough that they actually believed her and they called some experts however they did it back then there was no internet right. there was you couldn't search the world wide web for ufo experts they probably opened the yellow pages or called you know 
Call information. What was it? I don't think it was even four one one. What was it? It was like five 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 one two one two. Yeah, I didn't got. I didn't have a phone then. <laughs> and it was also the corded phone on the wall too in the kitchen. You know, with the with the uh, cord that would get all tangled. Anyways, I yes. remember that they had someone come. And he was examining the side yard in the front of the house. And my sister drew a diagram. And I can remember it. I, that piece of paper probably got thrown out. But she drew like a little disc with some lights. Okay? So my sister was probably 10, 11, 12 years old. And it's very unlikely that she was probably making it up. Um, I don't think the UFO stuff was that prevalent back in the late 80s, early 90s. But how do we reconcile that with... Our take now that these things are probably military programs or um, scientifically advanced technology versus out of this world type stuff where she drew a diagram that this thing came almost up to the window um, and our it, the windows overlooking our driveway it was basically you know like five feet off the ground mm-hmm. so it would have been over the driveway and into the yard how do we explain that or reconcile that with the take we just we just uh, came up with or talked about. I don't know that we can. I just throw it out there for discussion. I, I don't. So I've I've also had an experience that I didn't, couldn't explain, and then it, it, human experience and human memory. There's just such fuzzy, like silly and for sure manipulative, manipulated, easily manipulated, easily manipulated, easy to manipulate. Yeah, things. Um, that I don't trust any of it. Like I, I can, I'm not gonna discount your sister's experience, but like, uh, not knowing anything else, like she fell asleep and had a sort of semi, you know, hallucinogenic experience watching TV slash in and out of her dream state, and then she saw maybe something. There was a, a car that you know backed up, you know, used your driveway to turn around or pulled up to the wrong house. Who knows what? There were lights there. Um, and then she saw something, she went in and out of sleep, and it was part of her dream, and then she couldn't distinguish between what was dream um, and what was real, and what was waking life. Fair, fair point. Um, so I just, I don't know. I don't think that there's a, you have to discount one or the other. I just, I any individual, and this goes back to Bob Lazar, or any other, um, any other individual, any other individual contribution to this narrative, uh, is unless they're all seeing this at once and they all have accounts of the same exact thing from many different angles. Um, and we can sort of you know, tie this back to a, a courtroom, right? Unless you have independent witnesses who are telling you the same story from different angles, um, then you just have one person's narrative that's totally subjective and that memory changes in every moment. Um, and what you thought was fact is actually something totally different so let's let's bring this segment to a close but before we take a quick break i think what you're getting at is if you have a collective human experience right something like mount sinai with the jews where you have six hundred thousand people witnessing the same event and it's documented down for generations Then you have something that you can go back to and say, here is concrete proof as far removed as it is um, as to something that out of this world or um, not extraterrestrial, but like some phenomenon took place. Supernatural. Supernatural supernatural that is reliable and that we can pinpoint um, and discuss and say concretely this happened versus my sister's experience where she was the only one that witnessed it 
in a twilight like zone, even though I was there and you know something happened to my TV, who knows? Just could have been a coincidence or maybe I misremembered it or maybe that uh, after I heard her story, I was searching for some explanation or corroboration. Um, or Bob Lazar's tale where he has a one-off type story as compelling as it is, you know, maybe it's what fiction is made out of or misinformation campaigns are designed to um, and a quick, elucidate. Quick, quick little t- uh, yes, and I think uh, to the 600,000 people standing at Sinai uh, as the foundation of, of, of the Jewish, um, of Judaism and, and the tradition of the Torah, um, yes, 100%, and that you can distinguish that from basically every other prophetic experience um, recorded, right? And everything else is, you know, so-and-so revealed something and only he can see it uh, totally different right than, than, than other prophecies um, fine um, the other thing and it's slipping my mind already um, all right I forgot but there's something else I wanted to mention um, about Bob Lazar oh 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 this is what it is this is what I wanted to say with all of these things and you have these individual contributors who are like 9-11 conspiracy theorists, um, Bob Lazar, whoever there. If Bob Lazar is right, if Bob Lazar is telling the truth, how is Bob Lazar alive, man? How the fuck is Bob Lazar alive to tell me this stuff? Well, so I agree with you. So there was a Netflix um, docuseries, you know, my wife and I were watching recently about Bob Lazar. After I heard him on, on Joe Rogan, I wanted to do a little bit more investigation into his story. And there is a Netflix docuseries. I forget if it's one or two episodes. I think I saw it. I think I saw it. Yeah. I mean, he talks about how he's on the run. And yeah, about, yeah, yeah. He's about on the, the run, FBI. He's got a Netflix. Come on. He's on the run, but he has a Netflix special. Like, how on the run is he? He's got a Netflix special. Also, just With so him con- in it. Just so conveniently, also, by the way, the <laughs> FBI is like raiding his apartment or his office or whatever it is, too. Right. During the filming, right? The whole thing is like a little, like, look. People disappear and get poisoned, and it, it Epstein died mysteriously of suicide, right? Like, there's no way, man. This is way more sensitive. Like, there's no way. If if there's no way he's not dead, there's no way he doesn't have an accident. There's just no way that there's a Netflix special about what's really going on. If that's what's going on, well, there is a way. The way is he's out there for disinformation. Or it's just a fable. Could be. Okay, hold that thought. When we come back, I want to talk about this collective experience um, type event, Mount Sinai, and uh, reconciling religion with science. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. So I just want to take a quick shit on Bob Lazar. And (laughs) here's my take. If we go under the assumption that this dude is full of shit, what kind of person do you have to be to live a life that's dedicated to this fucking fake story. Like, let's just for a second. Like, let's let's go under the assumption that it's fake and he's making it up and none of this shit happened. But he's completely dedicated his entire existence to telling this lie. Like, just imagine. And is that a, is that any more likely than the story being true? I don't know. But like, how fucking creepy is that? That's so fucking psychopathic. Like, what a fucking crazy dude. He looks creepy. Yeah, I don't want to comment us on his. <laughs> what on his the fuck? Who so, are, you, are you? Are you like Bob Lazar's like agent? Are you representing Bob Lazar here? <laughs> no, but you know what's interesting about him? He came up with this element one fifteen, right? What's that fucking shit about? 
I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy shit out there, man. Like, science is way... Be man, when I started... What blew, blew my mind when I started learning about quantum mechanics and, 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 and modern physics and, like, this shit blew my mind and convinced me that God was real more than anything. And, like, that and hallucinogenics, like, mixed together is, like, for sure God exists. There's no question when you put those two together. Um, it's just, like... There's science out there that's way, way out there that they're doing. They have, like, they're controlling what, like, Einstein calls spooky action at a distance stuff that you can manipulate one atom here, and it's it's tied into, in a way we don't fully understand, uh, another atom somewhere else in the universe. But if you if you play with this one, the other one can feel it. So, like, if you're, if you're, you, you can zap this one with the, you know, zeros, then that one, where, however far away it is in the universe millions of light years away well simultaneously you know you could detect that the, its partner its its sister atom whatever is going to detect it there's there's crazy technologies out there man i read some of these articles they're posting like it's nuts we should get will on this show um our friend the scientist he's got he knows some crazy stuff man i don't know what he can discuss actually I probably you know i don't know what we can talk about him i think he, you probably think he, has, has, he, he has clearance we should bring him up that's exactly what i was gonna say i think he's a security clearance he does. He has security clearance. I'm pretty sure he works on uh, military satellite technology. So he's working at four o'clock in the morning, man. Like I'll see him in the morning walking his dogs, our friend, and be like, "I was up till four in the morning." So, anyways, on Bob Lazar, do you know in 1990 he was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring? 2006, he was charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substance Act. Crazy stuff, was. man. Of course he was. What's crazy about that? Of course he was. It all adds up, man. What about the what about the Vegas shooter? Uh, you mean the recent event? Yeah. That's a whole different topic, bro. I don't know. He has no motive though, right? I don't get it. What's the motive? I don't get it. I'm I don't fucking know what's going on. I don't understand. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break. We'll come back and we're going to talk about reconciling uh, science and religion. Okay. And we're back. Uh, Yo. Back on Slogan Talks. I want to talk a little bit about, um, Zach, the reconciliation between science and religion. Back in uh, 2003, when I was first becoming uh, an observant Orthodox Jew, I did some learning with uh, a local rabbi back in Miami. And I read a book called Permission to Believe. And we started to learn about... Uh, very philosophical, very um, deep topics such as reconciling science and religion. Uh, and the one thing that sticks out to me, uh, and I always go back to for people who don't believe in God or have questions about it, is if you ever look at a leaf from a tree and you see the veins in the water, uh, or, or the uh, where the water would go into the leaves from the from the tree, it doesn't seem to me like that's something that would just evolve by regular evolutionary means. It seems to me that it's something that was uh, created by design, right? If you look at a if you look at a tree, uh, a piece of wood basically grows out of uh, a seed and dirt. And you have this object that grows towards the sky that water goes through, but yet to the leaves to make it flourish. Yet if you cut a tree down and you, you know, you have a gardener come and chop your chop your tree down, 
you don't see water in the middle of the piece of wood, yet you know water's traveling up. I think a tree and leaves are absolutely fascinating. But so this is what I'm getting to with this. Science gives us knowledge, right? But religion actually gives us meaning. And in order to understand the universe, you have to you have to have both because with science we're searching for the reasons why and the reasons how um, an almighty being or a, a supernatural force created the universe and I don't think one is mutually exclusive than the other I think you have to have both absolutely I think one solidifies both and I think that um, without it's a few things without. Um, Without without religion, science is is sort of kind of um, it can be an obsession, or it can also really mislead, it can misguide, and um, it can misinform. Uh, on the other hand, without religion, whatever spirituality becomes an obsession as well if you take it seriously. Uh, the the interesting thing about what you were talking about. And my understanding of the universe and why, you know, I sort of I know that there's a there's a God in this world is um, my, my most basic look at take at it. And this doesn't and, and I want to take a, there's an important separation between um, the existence of God. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second, because it's not so simple um, when I say God, what that means. Because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage there and 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 and, and terms and, and definitions and, and preconceptions um, and then any particular religion um, and the existence of for example a, a Torah or the revelation at Sinai those are two separate things um, and we can say that one leads to another maybe but maybe not um, so here's here's the take first of all when we say God what does that mean it's not a man in the sky it's not a thing it's not anything that we can conceive. Um, it's something we can, in fact, never conceive. It's it's beyond, by definition, beyond. It, it it's not infinite. It within in it the co the concept of infinity exists within the concept of um, a creator. So when you say God, there's a lot of baggage to it. So you might as well replace that with the the conscious multiverse, right? Like say that super conscious I, within the terms that I have to describe it. Um, we have to describe it the the here's here's my rationale like on a very basic level in my personal experience as to how there there has to be at least we can really just as a thought experiment with our own selves each one of us prove to ourselves that there has to be a higher um a higher intelligence okay are you conscious matthew are you conscious Seems to me I'm looking at a computer screen at you. Um, I'm having conscious thought. I think I'm awake. Um, so yes, you're having this experience. You're, I'm having you're observing it, this. I'm so having an experience. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm it's helping a little bit too. But like yeah. I'm having an experience. You're having an experience. You're having an experience. Um, now, are you part of this universe? Wow, we're getting deep now. I think so. So for sure you are. You're not separate from it. You, we know science, for sure, a very basic understanding would tell you that you're made of the same exact thing as the things around you. I mean, you're you're literally made out of what you've had to eat, mm -hmm. uh, frankly, um, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you didn't get to be as big as you are, and you're in great shape, but without eating. So you're literally made up of, of the universe, right? You're, you you're come from, from, from 
from proteins that come from other things that are made up. You're made of the same things as trees and rocks and stars and galaxies. We're all made up of the same thing. And you're conscious. By the fact that you're conscious, the universe is in fact conscious. By the fact that you have desires and wants and hopes and dreams, so does the universe. Just by it's a, literally like a definition. You you don't just exist in. You're a part of. So, the fact that we have these abilities within each one of us means the universe is conscious. That you're able to perceive this moment because the universe has a desire to perceive this moment. You're the universe watching itself. That's what that's what so, your experience is. So in physics in high school, you know, the one thing that I always take away is that energy really doesn't stop. Like it transfers, right? Yeah. So if you hit a ball with another ball, the ball keeps moving till it hits something else and energy is transferred. So what you're basically saying is the vibrations and the energies are all transferred to one another. Well, we're all essentially one of the same. I'm saying we, when you, you see, when you look at this computer monitor that you're looking at or the microphone or a tree, let's go back to the tree. When you look at a tree, you perceive it to be a tree. That's you. There's the tree between you. There's different things. You're different things in the tree. That's hundred percent true and hundred percent real. Science also tells us that is completely your perception and really an illusion that allows you to survive in this world. Really, you're both made up of the same exact atoms and you really are the same thing in a different, slightly different combination. That slightly different combination creates a tree that grows from the ground, creates leaves, so forth and so on. And a different combination creates a conscious human being. But you're made up of the same atoms. You're made up of the same exact stuff. You could eat the fruit of that tree. And we can talk about that. But and that <laughs> would contribute to the. Yeah, it would. It would. It would. It would add to your to your body, to your mind, to your being. Um, in other words, really, the universe has is as conscious as at least as conscious as you are and I are. But what I what I would what I would suggest is that in fact it's much more so. Because if the combination of atoms that makes up my mind, that makes up your mind, can is capable of these thoughts and the things that human consciousness is capable of, can you can we can't fathom the the, the levels of quote unquote consciousness for lack of a better term, that the combination of all atoms in the world together in the universe, in the multiverse, can contribute to creating. If your brain, if that combination of atoms can create the consciousness that you're experiencing, what if we take all the atoms that exist in the multiverse? What could they be capable of? Like, what are they doing? So it has to be that there is, there is levels of um, consciousness, again, for lack of a better term, that are way beyond what ours are. And we can't necessarily perceive that. I agree with you. So I don't know if this was before your time or not, but do you remember the Smurfs from yeah, yeah. what was it, I don't the remember, 1980s? I don't, yeah, I, I don't remember the show. I, I've never watched the show, but I know the characters of the Smurfs. Papa Smurf, Smurfette, whoever else. You know, I'm yeah, not talking about yeah. the movie. I'm talking about the original Smurf episode. Uh, episodes, the show. Toys. Yeah. Uh, and they used to talk about, and this was when I was a kid, you know, uh, they used to talk about mother nature, right? And when I think, when I became, started to become more religious and started to try to reconcile science with religion, I used to think of the Smurfs and the references to mother nature and that there's something around us that would control everything essentially. And it seems to me that using the terminology mother nature is like a dumbed down version of 
God, essentially, that controls everything, that controls weather, that controls events, um, that controls um, or knows all of our thoughts and things like that. And that's what I think too when I think of this supernatural being or phenomenon or um, experience that can tr- essentially should or can control everything. 100%. And that's why when I say God, I say with the caveat that people, especially people who, who aren't religious or don't believe in God, or even those who do may have a, 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 a their concept of God may be different than what I'm talking about. And what I think is, expo- I think so, so, so one easy way of, of saying that it's mother nature, it's the universe, it's mm-hmm. etc. Um, but I think what the, what the, in my understanding, the concept of God in, in, in the Jewish um, tradition is that what we're, we're, we're now discussing mother nature, the n- nature overall, like the natural course of, of things, how evolution is in place, etc. That's like an infinitesimally small aspect of what God has created. And God is infinitely bigger than that. Correct. Like so God is far more greater than that. That's just a, f- that will exist within a framework. That's a framework within, within God altogether mm-hmm. so so it's much bigger that the concept of god far exceeds that um it's also interesting i just was just watching a show on netflix um i forgot what it's called uh, but it's about how everything's connected actually and they were talking about um a bird and the bird is the, some kind of bird and it, it lives somewhere in like connecticut or rhode island or whatever delaware maybe and um they leave they do their migration and they fly very far to the same exact tree based on right in Brazil and then back here. And they was they were so fascinated they could fly to the same tree and navigate, you know, to Brazil from Delaware or wherever. But then they discovered something way crazier. Way crazier when they started tracking them. Okay. They all left at different times of year every year. A month here, two weeks there, in different directions. And they just kind of thought it was random until they started thinking about, well, what is it? What is it that makes these birds get up and leave Delaware at the beginning of June instead of instead of middle of July? Because by doing so, they actually take a huge risk of, 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 of um, making that migration with their young. If they're right, leaving earlier can put it more it puts their young in more danger um and they looked at the pattern of hurricanes and they found that if it was going to be a a, a, a bad hurricane season in in the caribbean they would leave early to beat the hurricane season Crazy. and if it was going to be an uh, there was going to be less hurricane and they predicted with far higher far higher accuracy than our latest meteorol than our most advanced meteorological computers and, and scientists how do they possibly know what are they tapped into in nature slash God, whatever you want to call it, mm. um, that they know in Delaware, the birds with a brain the size of my fingernail n- can figure out in June that in September there's going to be a, 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 a hurricane in the Caribbean so that you better fly now. Like I think that's crazy. How do birds know to fly south in the winter too? How do butterflies know to fly to Mexico? And how, not only that, that's a great example of completely like evolution. What? Like it's gotta be designed because a, a butterfly comes from 
a freaking caterpillar. Bat, a caterpillar. The thing melts into nothing. Right? A caterpillar lives its life. It's living its life, and then all of a sudden it coco- makes a cocoon and dies, and becomes completely liquid inside this cocoon, and Crazy. then emerges as a flying thing that then flies down to Mexico. It's never been to Mexico. It's like two generations removed from its from from Mexico. You know, you should Insane. get. You should get. We've done this a couple times with my kids. We order the kits on Amazon where they send you the caterpillars in a mm-hmm. little a little jar, and you basically put it out and. It gives you instructions, but the cat you watch the caterpillars turn into the crystallids or whatever they're called, and then they emerge as caterpillars. It's phenomenal. As uh, butterflies, I mean. it's, butterflies. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. Insane, and we did some research on this because we wanted to know about the butterflies. They fly down to Mexico, and I think they stop like two or three times along the way, so it's different generations. Right. So that it's butterfly like- actually never makes it to Mexico. No. But it's flying so that its great grandkids can make it to Mexico. It's and insane. then they'll fly back. It's they're going to a place they've never been. Like it's it's absolutely insane. It's mm-hmm. absolutely insane. It, it's it's beyond my understanding. It's way beyond my ability. To you know what the other one that's kind of cool is bees. Have you ever looked into bees? Bees pick out who the queen is going to be well before she's born. Right? They start giving one of the um, larvas extra food. To plump that one up to be the queen. How do they know? Who knows? Hashem, a god, whatever supernatural force. It's crazy. It's insane. It's crazy. I don't understand, man. It's it's hard to look at the. It's it's an interesting thing that science ha- that 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 in our in our and I think it's going away a little. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm in a bubble. But that that the. The, the sort of antagonistic antagonistic the the relationship between science and um, religion to be one of fraught um, I think it's actually counterproductive and and, and, and shouldn't it, it's wrong in many ways I think for, for a lot of people science has become the, a religion uh, has come to replace religion yeah so let's just bring it full circle for a second. I was reading a quote that Einstein said that the aim of science uh, is to decipher the mind of God, which has uh, uh, which he had when creating the universe. So it's like science are the rules that God said, or Mother Nature, or supernatural force, or phenomenon, or whatever you want to call it, right? So God sets the universe, the rules of the universe, and uses science as those rules: physics, chemistry, biology math, whatever, okay? So let's just take an event like um, Moses parting the Red Sea or God parting the Red Sea for Moses. Right. You know, we read it in scripture, we read it in the Torah, the Bible, whatever, uh, whatever religion you belong to. And when you read it, do you read it literally or do you read it metaphorically? In other words, did the waters recede and just go up like a, like a wall of water? for the Jews to walk through, for the people to walk through escaping Egypt? Or was it a drought in a way for the the Jews to walk across? You know, these things, my take is that there is some explanation um, naturally under the rules that God created in this world to explain these events. What do you think? Yes and no. 
Okay. I think that you're what, what you're, you're. There's a documentary. It's sort of not not great production. And I, forget, and I forget what it's called, but it's sort of that. It's science in the Bible, and right. there's a guy who um, who explains some of these things and, and, and the plagues of Egypt and how they're all totally like. I saw yeah. it. Correct. You seen that? Yeah. So like, it's like one thing leads to the other, and like it all makes sense. And uh, parting of the Red Sea has to do with yeah, like a combination. I don't know if it's drought, drought. but like a uh, like a, a, a seismic event somewhere in the in the um in the Mediterranean leading to whatever, like all these different things. Um, so I think that that's all that's yes. However, also Judaism does have, um, does tell us, uh, the tradition does tell us that miracles, um, are specifically supernatural. I don't, I don't know if that's a, a rebuttal. Um, but in other words, would it actually be a miracle Right, if a storm came and you know and blew down whatever the walls of Jericho, uh, would that be a miracle or not? But isn't it isn't it God or Mother Nature or supernatural force using the rules of this world, the rules of science that were created with the universe in order to um, effectuate a result, effectuate a situation? So in other words, that that scientific explanation would be the miracle. So I think the miracle is here. The miracle is that when God created the world and set it into motion, but man, this, this negates a little bit of a lot of Judaism, but I'll say it anyway. Here's a thought. <laughs> <laughs> that it negates the idea that God is fully involved in every aspect of the world in every single moment, that every single blade of grass well, that's a different con- that, That's also a different conversation. That's too. a different conversation too. But what I was going to say, and, and maybe I'm wrong, from a Jewish point of view, I might be, I might be overstepping, um, is that... Um, it would be inc- it's an incredible miracle if the case is that God created the universe in such a way that on this day and this year the Red Sea will part for all of these reasons that would come together, but also that the Jews were leaving Egypt on that day, right? Like that those two things came together after billions of years is like that's a miracle right there, because mm-hmm. um, that's one way to look at it. I think that that does sort of maybe f- may may not may not mesh too well with the concept that God is really involved in our day-to-day, you know, world in every single way. Um, and if it was the case that God, you know, made it so that the Red Sea would part from day one of creation, then then the sort of like the actions of the Jews had no actual, didn't didn't do anything for it, right? If that means everything is predestined, that the, the, the world is, that, that there's no free choice, uh, there's no freedom of choice. That's the question, right? World. That's the, that's always the question. Do you have free choice or not? So the, the free will question is pre. I mean, without it, there is no. I think without that's that's still a question. That's a great it's question. Deep. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a deep, deep question. Without it, there's no Jewish religion. I don't know if there's another kind of religion. But if you don't have if you don't have freedom of if you don't have an actual free will, um, then it sort of negates most of the most of the knowledge and understanding that Judaism brings. When your son, when you sit with your son, your son's young, when you sit with your son and you're just on the couch in the middle of the night, if he wakes up or uh, in his room, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let let me put it this way. Let me tell you a story. So when my kids were maybe like four or five months old, something like that, we lived in a little apartment in the city and it was the middle of the night, maybe one or two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm holding... Twins, a boy, girl, 
And at the same time, they both turn and look at a bookshelf and start giggling. What is okay. that? Have you ever had that experience? No, I've never had twins. Well, aside from that, I think it's it, unique. Your, your your experience sounds pretty unique. They both looked at the same time. That sounds yeah. Like so I asked some. I asked someone in the know, someone spiritual about that, a rabbi actually, and he's like, you know, we don't try to understand these things. It's impossible because we're never going to know what they were looking at. We do know from looking at scripture that babies and um, certain types of people can see angels and things like that. But you know what? It's not even worth thinking about because the world is so complex. We're never going to understand it or know anyways. Yeah, I agree with that take. And I think it's actually it's, – it's a good it's a good place to hold because there's also um, the, the sort of the dark the dark side. And um, I've been told by rabbis that, you know, the, the dark side can only hurt you if, you if you're aware of it sort of thing. Like ignorance is bliss. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff out there. You, and Maimonides talks about, you know, stuff like that too, I think. And he's a pretty – he's a rationalist. Um and it's that you don't want to get involved because if you don't know about it, it can't hurt you. But if you start learning about it, then you, you might run into encountering it. There's some Talmud about that, actually. What does it say? Oh, so you're going to put me on the spot with Torah? Talmud? Talmud. So there's some, there's some Talmud. Talmud. I, think it, I think it's brachas. So I committed myself one year to reading both volumes of brachas when I had some personal tragedy in my life. Two volumes of Talmud. And there's, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, there's some information in there, some stories that uh, we only see certain spectrums of light. And if we actually could see everything that's around us, we'd actually be frightened, frightened to death. For sure. 100%. That's obviously true to me. I want to bring the conversation back to what we started with, which is... Um, how do you reconcile science with religion? And there's all different types of religions, right? There's Judaism, there's Catholicism, there's even Scientology, which is essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, a religion based upon um, UFOs or aliens or right. out of this world type Elron of stuff. L. Ron Hubbard, it's a science religion, yeah. Correct. So how do we reconcile that, right? I think, you know, you and I can reconcile Judaism with... Um, uh, science or maybe even Catholicism because it's basically uh, very, very, very similar with some exceptions. I don't know how you reconcile with Scientology because that's not my religion and my, my training or background, but this is how I look at it. There's some sort of master design, right? And you look at the human body and even if you believe it's, it's evolutionary, we have skulls that protect our brain. We have ribs that protect our heart. We have veins that carry our blood. You look at a tree and you have veins on a leaf that carry water um, to the extremities. Uh, you look at a dog and it has certain impulses. There's a master design to all of these. There's a food chain, there's a circle of life, right? So I think when you look at these things, you can reconcile science with uh, religion. Now. The one thing that uh, um, you can, I guess, separate a little bit and look at one-offs or try, you have to look at examine individually is things like natural events or things in the Bible, like Adam and Eve and eating the apple or eating mm. the fruit, right? Or separating the, um, um, uh, the Red Sea 
or um, bringing down the stone tablets from Mount Sinai or Jesus walking on water in Catholicism, right? So you look at those things and how do you reconcile those? Or maybe you don't. Maybe those are just fables or maybe those are just stories or maybe those are just singular events in history. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I I don't think you, you I don't first I think there's two things. I think most of them you don't they don't need reconciliation. I don't think that they're that they're at odds. And I think the ones that are, I think they are at odds. And at the end of the day, it boils down to if your question, if your issue with Judaism is that the stone tablets are just a bunch of baloney, like that's not possible. Like then, then that's like then like okay, like this is just like that's a like that that's a, that's such a tiny little thing, and not to discount it. Look, if there's one part of it that's incorrect, then like what's to say that the rest of it is? I, I hear that too, but if you if you're going to take on a huge body of of spiritual religious thought, uh, philosophy, etc., and you're gonna you're you're gonna discount it because of um, something that you can't understand because of your you know of, of 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 our current scientific understanding of the world or whatever it may be um that, that's just i think that's short-sighted and sort of really really not 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 that's just shallow like it does it doesn't doesn't do it justice um so i i don't think that kind of stuff is really so much worth like getting into like it, how did the stone tablets get cut by what like what i can we, we can maybe we can figure out a scientific explanation with our modern day knowledge but also keep in mind like we did they didn't have lasers a hundred years ago so how did they explain it and they thought they had an explanation or maybe they didn't need one and who knows what technology we'll have later that we'll be able to they'll be able to explain it so there is a there is faith at the end of the day is faith is is, is the reason why it's called faith um and there's a, there's a leap of faith and, it, and that's that's where it lies. It's that there are things. That, that's the key. Here's the key. The key is there. It's a surrender to the fact that we won't. We can't know. We don't know everything, and we can never know everything. That's the difference um, between religion and science. Science says, and I think that that's maybe that's wrong. That it, that that maybe what I'm saying isn't correct. But my understanding is that science says that everything is explainable. Every single thing mm -hmm. we will explain. Um, versus religion says there are things out there that are way beyond our comprehension by definition. Or maybe it's that science is basically a blind game with nature, and if you believe in God you know that it's not a blind game. It's the process of discovering the rational plan underlying creation. Maybe that's yeah. how you reconcile it. Yeah, I think you I think that's I think that's 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 perfect. I think that's perfect. Um, but I think that you we with with that understanding comes the understanding that science and I think maybe that, that's not that's not that's such a take. I think maybe that's obvious that science will constantly have to evolve. That science can never achieve of a total understanding that it's forever chasing an unattainable target not that it should still chase it and that, that the chase is very 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 good it's 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 the right thing to do and, and we should pursue it 
but at the same time, we will never get to a point where we can actually explain everything. You know, it's crazy if you think about it. Like the the periodic table, and I I, I suck at chemistry. I suck it's at worst. science. It's the worst. I suck at math, right? Really? But let's say let's say this asteroid that's supposed to hit Earth, right? Or it's not going to hit Earth. Yeah. On election day or the day before, whatever the, the tape day was, meteorite, right? The meteorite asteroid, whatever it is. What's the difference between a meteorite and an asteroid? I think it's just the size. Size. Size what matters. was what was this like <laughs> six feet whatever six, six point five and a half feet yeah it's crazy right so let's say these things hit Earth and we discover new chemical compounds and that are not of this world in this world being Earth let's say so that doesn't change anything right science dictates what we discover. These are just the rules. So if an asteroid hits and we discover a new element, a new compound, something to add to the periodic table, it's not changing the world as we know it. It's just discovering more, right? Yeah. I think I think that kind of discovery is just discovering more. Is and so when we explore planets, like we send we send um, robots and helicopters and drones. I think we just sent uh, some robot to Mars with yeah. a helicopter that's going to land yeah. whenever. Let's say a year from now, yeah, we're just know. looking for what? Do, uh, well, actually, let me ask it this way: What are we looking for? I don't think we're looking. Well, I mean, there may be objectives that 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 mission has. I'm sure there are because of the set because of the nature of the world we live in, and I'm sure it has much um, you know. Uh, objective criteria to meet, uh, but one of the things that I think is 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 essential to the human experience is and the in human civilization is the desire to explore, right? Like, or the question why? why? Did, right, like to, just to go out there and just to find it, right? Like, I think that one one of the, I think one of the reasons why I think it's so great that the space program should 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 continue to mm-hmm. exist and continue and be and be alive and well and and something that we all look up to. Is that it's it acts as a unifier and it also just creates a drive and a passion for exploration and a sense that there's stuff beyond there, right? I remember looking up. I was in San Diego and I was looking up at the ISS. And it was like shortly after um, the SpaceX stuff, right? And they docked and then like you could see the space that station. Was crazy. So it's crazy. And so I saw the space station and it was flying over overhead. I was in the jacuzzi in the backyard and. Um, that was there's people up there, man. There's people up there. Like that's nuts. nuts. So it it just puts a little bit of things into perspective, and to think that people are out on the moon when there were people on the moon, and to look at it and realize that people were there, to think about how big this universe is, and at the same time to explore for the sake of exploration, because I think that's just like when I say again back to kids, like when I see my little my, my son. My young son, he's exploring all the time. Everything is new. Everything is exciting. What's around the corner? Let's take a different turn, right? Like I, I put him on the bicycle. We ride. You know, I got this bike seat that's in front of me instead of behind me so like he can see. And he's and, and he's like, let's go the other way, Dada. Other way, Dada. He wants to go a different way every time. He wants to try a different way. Um, so I think that the, the spirit of exploration itself um, is, the, is really the mission, despite whatever the official you know, objectives are of the mission. This is a little off topic, but what do you think of the moon landing? Real or bullshit? For sure real. Mm-hmm. For sure real. Um, again, I, I don't think that there is – it just makes no sense. Like it, the whole thing, it makes no – there has to be great incentive. For something to be big, to, for 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 a big thing to take place, and something as as a 
uh, as maybe this is a, a perspective that most American listeners uh, don't have. Mm. But the idea that there was a space race to get to the moon is a little bit of an American um, re- uh, hist- historical revisionism. Um, from the from the Soviet point of view, the space race was basically over when they put a satellite and then a man into space. Um, and by getting to the moon, they got the the Soviets got a robot onto the moon that sent back to, to you know telemetry and and photo and, and images etc. They weren't really so gun ho about putting man on the moon because they didn't see that. Back on slogan talks, I hit uh, commercial by accident. Zach was uh, giving a take about the moon landing. I have a take about it too, but uh, Zach, finish your thought. Yeah, a quick I'll recap. Basically, my take on the moon landing is that I two part. First of all, I just that I I don't think it's fake because it I don't see the incentive necessary to fake it. Um, and I, I added you know the the, added, the additional thing is is the narrative that the space race was won by the U.S. by landing on the moon. Um, and this, it's sort of a revisionist history a little bit in the sense that, or maybe not revision, maybe that is the American that always was the America's perspective on the, on the, on the situation. But you know, being coming from the Soviet Union, having you know, being having a Russian family, Russian-speaking family, Soviet family, um, there is no such understanding from the Soviet Union side. Um, the Soviet Union, you know, feel didn't have the objective of landing people on the moon to win a space race. Um, they had launched the first satellite. They had put the first man into space, and they landed a sa- uh, um, you know um, a lunar lander on the surface of the moon that sent back the information that they needed. Um, so, that, in other words, like that, there was I don't I don't I don't know what the incentive is, right? To, in, in other words, that sort of takes away the the, the potential incentive. That, oh, it's to defeat the Soviets. Like mm. the, we faked it so that we could get a, a you know a leg up over the Soviet space program. Um, I just don't get it. Why fake it? Like I don't. I don't. What's the benefit? Well, I think. I think the argument would be before I give you my take is that the uh, uh, we have bigger missiles than you have, and if we have bigger missiles than you have, we can destroy you with nuclear weapons. Is I think what the take would be. Now, here's my. I have questions about the moon landing. I don't think it was fake. Um, I think it was more likely than not real. I do have questions about it because having looked at the um, lunar lander at the uh, Smithsonian, I don't. I have questions how a piece of tin foil had more power than the iPhone I have sitting here on my desk, right? But the takeaway and the thing I always go back to is that it would be virtually impossible to fake it because of the amount of people involved in the program and what we were talking about early on to keep a secret like that would be um, nuts. Impossible. Impossible. Also, if it's about, if it's about showing you I have the bigger rocket, why do people have to be on it? Mm-hmm. Like, again, like... Um, right. Why, why put people on it? And the stuff that there's this... The, the, that there's potentially a studio where they recorded this, etc. You know what? Maybe there is, and I wouldn't be stupid to have a studio to record, like, stuff for... Um, uh, whether it was a place to practice, you know, mm. to do to do simulations, or if it was for publicity purposes, to have a controlled environment to make nice pictures, and if such a studio existed, um, and that's not, you know, that doesn't take away. There's that I, I always remember like the um, one of the one of the takes is that well the flag is waving, 
and there's no mm. air on the moon, so how can the flag be waving? It's fake. Um, well, the the reason it's waving is because it was stuck into the ground, and by the motion, it just that motion continued because there's no air to stop the flag from 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 the from the shaking. Um, it just keeps continuing to sort of shake. Um, you know so what? We words, need yeah. we need to have Will on the show because he'll explain that. He can. He definitely would explain that. He will. I don't All know right. what to talk about. Zach, listen, we're out of time. All right. We got we got several segments. Um, I'm Slater. He's Kogan. This is Slogan Talks, and thank you for you listening. Know it.